You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, being new every morning. Lord, we thank you that Christ sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for all of our sins in the past, the present, and in the future. And God, that we can stand with the steadiness of peace upon our lives because we know that there's a peace that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks for that peace that rests upon our hearts, our minds, and our souls. In the name of Christ Jesus, everybody said, amen. Hey guys, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Ryan Rice. For those of you that are new, I serve as the uh, lead pastor here at North Valley. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. We're in James chapter 3, um, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and we're going to be talking about a wisdom that comes from above. Let's all say wisdom together, wisdom. We need a godly wisdom in our life. And uh, this morning, uh, I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the neatest ways I think that we can hear about wisdom is how God's working in the life of other people. So this morning, before we get started, I want to um, have a sharing time and just hear what God's been doing in the life of the people here at North Valley. So Pastor Jonathan is over here, and then we got Pastor Ian. He's going to take this mic and then maybe just share about what God's been doing in your life, something worth giving praise over and thanking the Lord uh, before we get started here this morning. So if you would, just raise your hand. Pastor Ian or Pastor Jonathan will uh, come around, and then you can take the mic just for a second. They'll hold on to it and just share just a little bit about what God's been doing in your life. So if you would, just raise your hand. Hi, um, my name is Corrine, and about three weeks ago, I told the church that I had been diagnosed with cancer in my liver, my lung, my bones, and I had a mass between my sternum and my breast. Uh, the doctor at that time did not believe I would be able to take chemo and radiation and was hesitant in having me do that, but I elected to do that. Um, about two weeks ago, he said, I've had seven weeks of chemo and four days of radiation. About uh, two weeks ago, he wanted me to take a series of tests to find out what's going on in my body. I did that, and uh, a little over a week ago, I saw him when I walked in. He said, how do you feel? I said, I feel good. He said, you should. All your cancer is shrinking. Praise God. Thank you for sharing. That's wonderful news. And a lot of people have been praying for you, and we're thankful to just be in this process together. Amen. Good morning. It's Todd. Um, about eight months ago, I was out in the streets, not doing too good. My wife was worried. Um, today, I've got people like Stephen ask me to help serve in the church. I've got Meredith helping, asking help serve in the church. I've got everybody asking me to help serve in the church. And it's just wonderful. I mean, I can't say how great it is to have people 
and be surrounded and, and, and feel the love. So I just want to say thank you and God bless. God's good. Amen. All right, we got Craig up here too. Hey everybody, I'm Craig Neese. I, uh, I've been holding off saying anything for a while, but we found this church last Easter, and oddly enough, I found it through trying to better myself and working out and happened to pick a church that was full of pastors, pick a gym full of pastors, and uh, so came over here with uh, Ian and Jonathan, and you know, pretty much, you know, that you're digging a hole and it's pretty dark when you're in there by yourself, so community was not something we had. So marriage was falling apart. Life was just unhappy. We were at another church, never got connected, and we found this place. And I can say I've been, I don't know, I've been serving, I think, since the week after Easter since we came. <laughs> Whether we're making sawdust in my garage, otherwise known as man glitter, or, or uh, pulling a trailer. And uh, I just want to say that, you know, even, even on the days where you're just like, where do I find the time, the energy, or, or just the, you're just, I'm done, you still get up, and it's because of all of you, still get up and put the signs out, still get up and help uh, drag a trailer here. And uh, I can only uh, attribute that to the love you all give me. And my, my wife and I are in a much better place because, partly, mainly because that man standing up there, Jonathan standing there and Ian standing right here. So I thank you for it. We love you. Hi, my name's Don, and uh, this is my beautiful wife, Cindy, and my daughter, Lisa. Uh, we uh, joined or found this church a little over a year ago, and it's the best thing that ever happened to us. Um, we were doing fine, and then uh, a few months later, my uh, wife was diagnosed with cancer, <clears throat> and we've been going through uh, treatments, and uh, we've been praying about it, and it's unbelievable uh, how people have come forward and uh, with their prayers, and we've been totally blessed. Um, I would like to say that uh, her cancer is stable. It's not getting any worse. And we, uh, you know, we were in a situation where we weren't really uh, connected, but when we came to North Valley Community Church, it didn't take too long, and we were connected. Uh, our small group, I like to say again, I'd like to put a plug in for that, um, small group is, is the best thing for everybody. Uh, we've uh, never gone hungry since uh, my wife has come ill. Uh, we, we always have food. Everybody brings food, and it's, it's wonderful. And thank everybody that's, that's been doing that. We've been just, just been totally blessed. And that's about all I can say. And, of course... Pastor Ryan, he's awesome. So we paid Pastor, him to say that. And Pastor, and, <laughs> and Pastor Jonathan, okay, he's awesome too. So I got to put that plug in too. So, all right, thank you.
Praise God. Thank you, Don, Cindy, Lisa. Love you. This is a great privilege for us, uh, Pastor Jonathan, Ian, and myself. We're kind of like the three amigos. And uh, we really love you. This is why we're here. God's ordained it that we would be here in the North Valley to establish this church. And uh, this is such a sweet and special time, I think, in the life and the history uh, of our lives, personal lives, and getting to see how God's working in your own family. Because this is real life, isn't it? This is real life. This is, this is Chad. As he said, this is Chad. Now, uh, my wife and I are new to the area, um, and... Uh, Obviously, we have a new one here, and the, the small group started not too long after she was born, and we kind of took the risk uh, to, to join, and unfortunately, we got Jonathan over here, so <laughs> no, but I, d- I do just want to say uh, it was really the first time my wife and I got hooked in, and, and it's just been a huge blessing, and um, uh, just getting to know people here, and, and obviously, everybody's just so welcoming and loving, and, and uh, I mean, God's people really need to share with one another and, and, and get connected. And another praise is she's only about two months old and we're getting some sleep. So big, big blessing there. So. That's good. Thank you. Praise God. Okay, one more. Right here. Hi, my name is Ray. Um, you guys get to actually hear me and see me a lot up front with the bass. And um, I enjoy ministering here. But um, Ryan asked me today when we were in soundcheck to definitely give a praise report, um, testimony. So didn't have a lot of time to think about things, but what I did want to do is I wanted to just say that um, this is my wife, Nicole. Um, I want to say today that I love her. Uh, We've been together for five years. When you meet your best friend, you don't have to really make up a a speech on how to say what you want to say, how you want to say it. Um, We didn't exactly know all the ins and the outs of how things were going to work out when we first got together. Uh, we came together as a blended family. Uh, we have two wonderful children as well. Um, but God just has really, really worked it out. You know, as I trusted him and allowed him to lead me and guide me in my musical career, my professional career, um, and in my spiritual walk with him day to day. Um, and then this woman standing beside me, trusting me and following me and, you know, saying, if you say go, I'll follow, you know, I'll follow you as long as you follow God. He has just really, really opened up doors. And we have seen um, big improvements in our finances, in our kids' lives, in their education, in their development. And to God be the glory. I just want to encourage any one of you that if you're in a relationship with somebody, you may be nervous about taking that step and being that man that God called you to be. Mm. Take it one day at a time and trust God because he has all the answers and if he can do it for me, I know he can do it for you. God bless you. Amen. That'll preach. Thank you guys for sharing. It's a great privilege. And we know she's the, the better side of you. Yeah, yeah. It's a joy having you guys a part of this church. Hey, would you guys stand together? We're going to read in God's Word. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. This is part 11 of a series in the book of James, and, you know, we've subtitled it 12 Habits of Holiness, and what I'm going to do as we get further along, I'm going to kind of surface those. Uh, 
what I wanted to do is walk through the passages uh, verse by verse through this book. And we do this uh, throughout the given ministry year. We'll teach through a book, uh, maybe in the fall, in the spring. And so this is a very critical, important time for your spiritual development to be able to really put your heart and mind and soul into understanding God's Word. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at James as he is going to instruct us on what it looks like to get wisdom from above. Let me read. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good deeds, conduct, let by his good deeds, his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, it's then peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, it's impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord, amen? You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we pray now, work upon our minds and our hearts to see your word for what it says timeless truth applied in each generation equals a a harvest of righteousness, Lord. By your grace, by your mercy, reveal to us a wisdom from above. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. This morning, we're going to be asking the question, the big question is, how in the world do you live by godly wisdom? I think this is a pretty straightforward, simple Uh, text that is going to enable you to understand what it looks like to have godly wisdom in your life. And so in studying it all week long, I've kind of uh, deduced it to three major points. The first is this, is that you need to make your goal transformation, not information. Uh, James is talking about a kind of uh, wisdom that literally would transform the very character, the nature of your personal life. And a lot of times when we think about godly wisdom, we kind of think of maybe somebody that's wise in your life. You think of somebody like a a Yoda or some old man on a porch with a big, long, flowing beard that he's the wise guy. He knows all the answers. Uh, James is talking about something that's incredibly important that we're to understand that wisdom is something that it should be worked out. And sometimes what we think is that the more information that we can acquire, the more wise we'll actually be. I remember in my ministry, uh, over the course of my ministry, I've looked back at several people that I've found that have been incredibly intelligent. I mean, they could memorize uh, verses. They could quote uh, all sorts of random Bible trivia, like uh, Pastor Jonathan mentioned, that's not what we're going to do. When, we, when you come to a neighborhood group, we're not going to quiz you in random trivia. And over my ministry career, I've been able to see how God uses people that some have an incredible intellect. They have a high IQ. They're really, really sharp and smart people. But then when it comes to things like the spiritual life and working out relationships and conflict, they fail. They absolutely are a zero in those categories. Uh, Literally, I've had friends that have been able to memorize entire books of the Bible, but in their personal and their private life, 
It's like there's no application, no look of holiness, nothing's computing. And Jesus came against this radically in his teaching and his ministry. He talked about the Pharisees, the really smart people, the really smart religious people. They had all the answers, but they wouldn't practice what they were preaching. They did a lip service, always talking, and they had the right answers, but they never did what's called a life service. Their life never equated to what was being taught in the scriptures. And Jesus told them, you're totally off. Church, what we need is we need a wisdom from above. We need to understand the difference between godly wisdom, worldly wisdom. We need to understand the difference between wisdom and intelligence. James asks this question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? When he says who is wise and understanding, He's talking about wise people that have good judgment. They're able to apply what's being learned. They take information and then they learn how to apply it into their very lives. Wisdom is not intelligence. Not that intelligence is bad or wrong. I've met a lot of intelligent people that apply what they're learning and it is incredible. But then I've met a lot of really smart people that when it comes to life, they seem like they're just foolish. Wisdom is not intelligence. Wisdom applies knowledge while intelligent seeks to acquire knowledge. The wise people around you in the Christian community, they take what they hear and they say, if this is eternal truth, I'm going to apply it to my life and my marriage and my business and my work, in my home, in my neighborhood, and they apply it. When you seek to just be intelligent, you're always acquiring more and more facts and details, but what good is it, James is going to say, if it's not applied? Wisdom is more about emotional, the the EQ, not the IQ. EQ is actually being sought after by many business owners and churches all around the world, organizations, people, organizations and people want to spend time with other people that have some kind of emotional intelligence quotient that they don't fail because basically what it comes down to is at the end of the day, we've got people that we interact with to make decisions at some level or another. And James is calling for us to seek a wisdom, not more intelligence. He's seeking us to focus on the transformation of character, not just more information for the person. Wisdom's about experience. It's not simply about education. You could be the, a godly wise husband or a godly wise uh, wife and not need to go to Bible college. You can acquire this. James says, here's how he does it. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. First of all, he says, by his good conduct. Let's all say good together. Good. That's the paradigm we're going for. We want good conduct. Well, looking at good, you make your aim the greatest person on the planet ever to have walked the earth would be Jesus Christ. James is the little brother of Jesus. We're going to see that James actually refers to Jesus's most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount in this passage to help us understand how to acquire and how to get a godly wisdom. He says, by his good conduct, good does not mean bad. Conduct is a manner in which one behaves. He says, let him show it with his works. In other words, James says, 
Prove it. Do it. Make it happen. That's why we named this message series, Let's Do This. Let's take what we learn and let's apply it to our lives. Amen? That's what transforms us. We need a total makeover year by year. So we watch uh, movies and TV shows, HGTV, all these things about making over homes. Think about a makeover on your personal heart. Think about a makeover on your marriage. Think about a makeover in your own spiritual walk with God. The goal ought to always be in godly wisdom is that you're focusing on transformation. At the end of the day, you want to be transformed more and more to the image of Christ. Amen? So, so in order for that to happen, you need to make that your goal, not more and more information. The goal is always transformation. And as a church, if you'll notice when we preach and teach, we're not teaching you just for information's sake. We're actually focusing our preaching and teaching on how you can walk through with God's goodness and his grace upon your life, a transformative experience here and now for your life. And it's an ongoing process. James says, let him show it with his works. Make it happen. He says, in the meekness of wisdom. That word meekness is a word that indicates actually transformation. The adjective was used to describe how one would actually break a wild horse from his destructive, precarious behavior in nature. That word meekness means to change there in the original language. I remember growing up, my dad would uh, spend the summers, he would take the family, we would go to the Ozarks, and uh, his business partner had a very large ranch, several thousand acres. We would go up to the ranch, and every summer there was always a new wild horse to break in. And so as a young teenager, guess who got appointed to try to break in these horses? So they're like, Ryan's crazy enough, let him jump on it. So sure enough, that's what I did. And uh, I learned from the ranch handlers watching them that the best way to break a wild horse up there was to take the horse into the creek. Because in the creek, the water would wear out that horse. And it was also a lot more forgiving, water is, than the, the big, hard, rocky banks. So we take these horses, and I remember one of the horses that we took was a horse that I was trying to, to get. I named him Coach. And we would take him into the, the, the creek there, Big Creek, and uh, take him in there, and I would work him down until basically he was exhausted. He went in a raging stallion, and he would come out meek and mild because he was exhausted. James talks about this important that the wisdom that we need has got to transform us. Guys, the greatest enemy against you acquiring knowledge and wisdom is your own pride. And James is saying there's a humility that has to happen because if that humility doesn't happen, then why would you try to apply this to your life? James is saying, you've got to make transformation the goal, not information. So in other words, if you assent to that idea that transformation is the goal, then that means something's wrong now and you need to change. Amen? So James is saying this wisdom's got to be expressed in this meekness, this transformative power that has to happen 
of submission and trust in God. We don't need more information, guys. We need more transformation. Recently, I got into a heated discussion with somebody, and they were talking about um, something in the church. And it slipped my mouth, and I shouldn't have said it, but I said, look, if you applied half of what we taught, we'd be in a different boat. I, I didn't go so good. And uh, here's, here's the point. It was absolutely true. This person was saying all these things about us and me and everybody else. And it's disrupting community. My point was saying is we've got to focus on application. If we focus on, we live out what we hear and believe, it changes us. Because it's eternal truth. God's designed you to be in line with his word and his life. And it works when you do it. Second point is this, is James is going to teach us that we need to get rid of all jealousy and selfish ambition. Verse 14. Notice how many times he mentions jealousy and selfish ambition in this passage. Verses 14 through 16. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy, notice he said bitter, not better. Bitter is bad. Better would be better, but it's not. (laughs) But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, and for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Two times he mentions that in that one passage. In other words, jealousy and selfish ambition are some of your greatest enemies of the human heart. These are great sins in a Christian community and a Christian church. These are terrible enemies. These are worships upon the soul and the heart. And the mothership of these sins is pride. And pride always travels with jealousy and selfish ambition. James says, but if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, the original translation helps us to understand that it's in your heart literally means that there's harboring of bitterness jealousy and selfish ambition. In other words, jealousy and selfish ambition set sail to take harbor in your heart. And James is saying, you've got to get rid of these if you're going to walk in a true wisdom that's from above. These things have got to go. Jealousy, selfish ambition. What are, what are those more clearly? Jealousy is envy. It's resentment. When other people do good, you can't stand it. You resent others. You harbor bitterness. Jealousy is coveting. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Jealousy is wanting and desiring something that's not yours. What do we get jealous about? We get jealous about other people's marriages. Oh, look at their marriage. Oh, look at that husband. He's so good. Couldn't you be like that? (laughs) It's called coveting. Quit it. Guys, that's what you can say. That's called coveting. Quit it. 
What do we covet? What do we get jealous about? We get jealous about other people's health. They're healthier. That gal can lose weight quicker than I can. That guy gets stronger and better. He's got more health than I do. God, why don't I have that? Jealousy. Jealousy about beauty. Oh, that girl's so beautiful. She gets whatever she wants. And then come down to it, you cut her down all the time. And then come to find out you're just jealous. You're just mean because you're mad. Why do we get jealous? We get jealous over things about children. Oh, their children are better. Or, oh, their children do this. You see Facebook and you see all the pretty little pictures. You're like, how did they get so many likes? I put a picture up and they're like, And then you like delete them from your Facebook. You're like, can't even stand it. You got a jealousy problem. Jealousy is kind of dropped an anchor in your heart. Set up camp. And all the evil workers and their minions come out of the ship and begin to invade other areas of your life. You've got to get rid of jealousy and selfish ambition. James says it's going to kill your own personal relationship with the Lord. It's going to kill your relationship with people. It's going to kill relationships in the church. Get rid of them. We get jealous about careers. Other people have better careers than we do. We get jealous about people's homes. They've got a prettier house than we do. You, can't, you watch TV and you see HGTV and you're like, gosh, I wish we could just get more. Then you're like, mm, where is that credit card? And then you're enslaved. Jealousy did that. Jealousy did that. It opens up Pandora's box on everything else. Success. You get jealous about people's success. What is selfish ambition? It's when you put other people first, or you put yourself first rather than other people. Let me correct that. Selfish people, I've learned, they generally only have time for themselves. Oh, I'd love to help out, but I'm kind of busy. Selfish people are generally, they're always right. Oh yeah, I understand, but I'm right. That's selfish, self-centered people. Selfish people only like to help out. Sure, I'll help out, but it's really not matching my skill set and my gifts. So I really feel like you should just focus on somebody else. Let me kind of do what I like to do. And if you find anything that matches my gifts, come back to me. That's selfish. James is talking about something totally different here in the Christian community that we're to be not selfish, but selfless. In fact, he starts out his book as one of the holy habits that he introduces, and he's going to say, serve like Jesus. Jesus did not have himself in mind in going to the cross. Rather, he had God's, God's plan in mind. Selfish ambition. Worldly wisdom has four characteristics. Look in the text Worldly wisdom is what's also been called a phantom wisdom. It's a fake. It's not real. Worldly wisdom has four characteristics. It's not from above. That's first of all what James tells us. When he says it's not from above, literally that means it's anti-godly. If you're not careful, you're going to be harboring jealousy, selfish ambition, and walking in a worldly wisdom that's ungodly. Secondly, he says it's earthly. It's rooted in man thinking, not God thinking. It's rooted in humanism, not in what God's word has to say. 
Worldly wisdom is also unspiritual, meaning it's void of a spiritual power that comes through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Worldly wisdom is how most, all those that do not profess Jesus Christ as Lord operate. And it's that kind of wisdom that we have to say, that's not the fuel that we need as Christians. We need a fresh awakening in the mind for a new kind of thinking on a day-to-day basis. We pray for wisdom, not a worldly wisdom, but a godly wisdom, a wisdom that comes from above, that comes from high, that changes the way we act, that changes the way we think. Lastly, James gets bad to worse. He says this kind of wisdom that's worldly, it's demonic. It's rooted in evil. The wisdom of man apart from God is demonic wisdom. It's demonically influenced. When you take a pathway of worldly wisdom, you find yourself entrenched, overcome by jealousy and selfish ambition. You have not ridded them by any means. You've set, you set up a harbor for them to camp out. And it destroys and erodes your personal well-being, your peace, your relationships with people and ultimately with God. Verse 16, look what it says. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Here's the effects of worldly wisdom, he says. The first one is disorder. If you've got jealousy in your household, in your marriage, then it's a dysfunctional. It's disorganized. It's not right. You're out of step. You're out of line. If you have jealousy or selfish ambition, it's going to disrupt God's people, God's church, your home, your business. The effects of worldly wisdom. Secondly, James says it's, it's every, the effect is, is that every vile practice. In other words, it opens up all sorts of perversions when you keep these things in your life. Jealousy and selfish ambition. What should we do with them? You should get rid of them. Untie them from the harbor of your heart. These two ships have dropped anchor and set up shop. And all their little minions and all their little workers go overtime all the time to try to erode your personal relationship with Christ, erode your personal fellowship with other believers, and distract and deteriorate you from the inside out. There was a story about a man named Hernandez Cortez. He was a Spanish explorer in, the 15, in 1519, and he set off from Spain to take the Yucatan. From the Aztecs Indians, there was a supposedly all this gold. And the Aztecs had been a, a powerful empire for more than 600 years. And Cortez, when he had set out, he had 100 sailors with him. He had a big fleet of ships. And he had 500 soldiers at his disposal to overtake the Aztecs and take their gold and conquer the Yucatan Peninsula. And guess what happened? The sailors got afraid. The soldiers freaked out and they wanted to go back. So the legend says is that Cortez made a decision. He said, you're not going to leave. What we're going to do is we're going to burn these ships. 
And we've set sail here. We made it our mission. We're going to get rid of these, these little things called our ships. There are harbors of safety for us. They're our comfort zone. We're going to burn them. So he burned them. And nobody had any options at that point. Either you fight the Aztecs or you die. There's no going back. Here's my point. Some of you need to burn these ships of jealousy and ambition because they have set sail and they have dropped their anchor in making a safe den for thieves and robbers and destructors to just terrorize your spiritual life. And you've got to get rid of these at all costs. You've got to realize that if you let jealousy and selfish ambition come, you'll go spiritually bankrupt and you won't accomplish the work that Christ is calling you to. You need to get rid of jealousy and selfish ambition. Number three, how do we live by God's wisdom? You do just that. Number three, you live by godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. You need a paradigm. You need a pattern to follow. And Jesus exemplified that greatest. James, being the little brother of Jesus, would have traveled all throughout Galilee with Jesus and seeing his life and his ministry. Him declare uh, truth with an utter amazement with other people watching Jesus perform miracles. And he would have taken Jesus' message and he's applying it now in his own context. Verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure and then it's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Seven characteristics James gives us. The first is purity. Do you know Jesus taught about this at his greatest message ever? In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see the kingdom of God. We need to pursue a life of purity. If you want a wisdom from above, be pure. Walk in purity. Walk in a purity of your mind, your body, and your soul. Whatever is impure, get rid of it. Burn it. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make a point. My point is this, is that if you're going to live by godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, pursue a life of absolute purity. If you don't have purity in your relationship, in your married cup, as a married couple, it erodes and destroys the very peace of that relationship. If you don't have a pure motive in your business dealings, you will not earn more customers because people don't trust you. They believe that you have impure motives. James says top of the list is purity. That's godly wisdom. Pursue that. Secondly, peaceable. Be peaceable. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul said, if it's all possible, be at peace with all people. So in other words, What Paul teaches echoes what James teaches is that peace is an incredible uh, cultivator for godly wisdom in your life. And when you're at peace with other people, if at all possible, leave the door open for peace. Make peace with anybody who's at odds against you as far as it depends on you. I love that Paul says that because it means that a lot of times you're not going to have peace with people. You're going to 
get into situations and they're going to be angry at you and they're going to go to their grave angry wanting to launch a war against you. And what Paul says and God's word tells us is, hey, listen, as far as it's possible and it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Thirdly, he says there ought to be a gentleness upon your life. That means that you pursue gentleness with your children, with your spouse. You pursue gentleness. You don't seek to be abrasive and domineering, but you seek to be gentle, kind. Fourthly, that you be open to reason. I love this one. I think this is incredibly important for wisdom. When people don't have your position or your way of thinking, guess what? That's probably a good thing to help you see a bigger picture. And every critic has at least about 10% of truth in what they're saying about you. So when critics attack or people say things against you, let me give you some, op- some advice. Be open to reason. Realize that most of the times when critics attack, there's at least 10% of what they're saying that actually could coach you. Be open to reason, James says. Fifthly, be full of mercy and good fruits. He combines those two. He says, full. He doesn't say empty or devoid. He says, there's this fullness that you need to have. How do you do that? You call upon God. James said earlier, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask of God who gives generously, right? So every day you need to understand that God has this unmatched resource of mercy and grace and goodness upon your life that you can come to him and it's unending and you can say, I need it again. I need it today. Help me. Full of mercy and good fruits. Sixthly, be impartial. The characteristics of godly wisdom means that you have a concern and a care for all people. The big people, the little people, the angry people, the happy people, all sorts of people in your life, there's this, some kind of, there's this care and concern. You don't show favoritism. When you're impartial, it disrupts community. It disrupts a lot of different things in your life and care and concern for people is incredibly important. We originally named our church Imago Day, and it means made in the image of God and that's what drove our efforts to fulfill the second greatest commandment, love people. And that value and that vision still carries on through North Valley. We changed our name from Imago Day because people showed up and said, where's the Spanish preacher? And we're like, I, we, don't, we love Spanish, but Ryan doesn't know how to speak Spanish. So we changed it to North Valley. But the Imago Day is the doctrine that comes out of Genesis 126 and 127 and says, let us make God in our image. Every person on the planet is made in God's image, regardless of their creed or their color or whatever may be the case. Be impartial. Verse, or the seventh thing is be sincere, genuine, committed. Committed. What do you need to work on? Some of you are like, everything, everything. God's good news is this. Look what the promise is. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The word peace here literally means, it's a Hebrew term that James is borrowing and it means a holistic peace over your life. That when you make this an effort and ambition and you call upon God, God, I want to walk in godly wisdom. 
I want this pattern upon my life. I'm going to pursue purity. I'm going to pursue all these things and be full of mercy. I want to be gentle. I want to be open to reason. What James does here is refreshing for the soul. He says, there's going to be a peace over your life. It's a shalom. That's the Hebrew phrase. And it means there's this peace over your life physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There's a peace that resides over your whole life. And everywhere you go, there's this peace that comes with you. God's word promises me that the peace of Christ will rest over my life as I live by godly wisdom. That's the encouragement for us, that the peace of Christ would rest upon us. I want to invite Ian and the worship team up. They're going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song called It Is Well With My Soul. And it was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. He was a successful lawyer and family man in the 1800s. He wrote this song. It's called It Is Well With My Soul. And he wrote the song after several tragic events in his life. And he's asking God for wisdom on how in the world to navigate. Listen to what happened in his life. First of all, his son died in 1871. There was a fire in Chicago. It's been gone down in the history books. It's called the Great Fire. And it destroyed all of the city of Chicago, at least most of it. And Horatio was a businessman. He invested his money in a lot of the uh, development that had been going on in Chicago at that time. And he entered into an incredible financial loss. There was a great recession that hit America at that time. And Horatio, in a sense, lost everything. Financially bankrupt. And he's asking God, how can I have peace in the midst of this tragedy? I lost my son to the fire. I've lost my business in the recession. And it went from bad to worse for Horatio. The family wanted to get away and go overseas and spend time in Europe. So they boarded a ship and Horatio, his four daughters and his wife set sail across the Atlantic. Horatio actually had to stay behind. This would be the major guilt factor I would deal with my whole life if I was in his shoes. He stayed behind because the business was struggling and he sent his wife and his four girls across the Atlantic and he stayed to try to deal with zoning issues that were going on in Chicago. And this was his only chance for hope to salvage his business. So he stays, reluctantly sends his wife and his four beautiful daughters across. And just a couple hours after leaving the harbor, the ship that they were on, the Spafford family, the four girls and the, do- and the wife hit another ship and their boat sank. And the wife sent a telegram to Horatio and it said this, saved alone. That's the only news he has of his daughter, daughters, four daughters, and his wife. Horatio fell to his knees, prayed to God, and asked for a wisdom that came from above. How in the world, God, could this happen? And he prayed out, and he got on a boat, and he crossed the Atlantic, and when he came to the spot where his wife and his daughters The ship had sank. Thankfully, by God's grace, his wife was saved. 
But he came to that space where his daughters had died and he prayed out and he said, God, if I just have you, a peace of Christ, a shalom over my life, it is well with my soul. Ian and the worship team are going to lead us forward with that. Look, God doesn't promise that everything's going to work out perfect in our lives, but he does promise us this, that in the midst of challenging circumstances, he promises to bring a peace that overcomes every situation you're in in your life. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.